take your Bible, turn over to 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3, if you would. As we return back to our study. 1 Peter, as we continue verse by verse going through that. Well, the title, the title of this message is A Blessing Inherited. You know, blessing is receiving a gift from someone. Someone wants to bless you. They give you something uh, to bless your life. And like fathers sometimes will bless their children, and they should, especially toward the end of their life, and pass on a legacy of faith to them. So our Heavenly Father wants to bless us. And I think sometimes as Christians, we have a hard time understanding and believing that God wants to bless us, and he wants to bless us more than we believe it. And so that's what we want to key in on today, blessing inherited in the face of opposition and persecution. And a great verse to dwell on as we begin is Proverbs 10.22. You can see it on the screen. The blessing of the Lord makes rich, and he adds no sorrow with it. And I know that there are some people within the sound of my voice today, whether here or live stream, that they look at that verse and they struggle to believe it. Can you grasp sometimes the dip, when you go through difficulties, when people have mistreated you, when you've had financial loss, something you didn't even do, but it happened to you, and on and on the list goes. How can God bless us and make us rich? And he adds no sorrow with it. This morning, I'm going to, want to talk about how to live a blessed life that comes through God in the midst of the circumstances, whether they're good or bad. Life is full of roller coaster rides, right? Ups and downs. And we need to learn how to live above that fray so that our life is not just emotionally following with the circumstances as they, as they come into our life. We have to learn to have the same love for God and commitment when we're deep in the dark valleys as we do on the mountaintops. And when all is going well, we have to guard our hearts from becoming more dependent upon ourselves and thinking everything's good and I don't really need to focus too much on God at that time. That's a, a dangerous thing because comfort and wealth and ease of life can cause us to lose our dependence on him. Blessings come in many, many, many ways. We often think of material blessings, but blessings come in our relationships, <clears throat> when God answers prayer, spiritual growth in our life. There are other ways that we could say we can see God's hand of blessing coming to our lives. So our purpose today is that every Christ follower is expected to have an attitude and a behavior that honors Christ in the midst of opposition and persecution. So look at 1 Peter chapter 3, if you would. 1 Peter 3, verse 8. Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless, for to this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. Verse 10, for whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. Verse 12, for the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayer, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? And may God add his blessing at the reading of his word this morning. To keep things in context, let's review where we left off back on November 14th, just before the Thanksgiving Christmas season. And you have this uh, outline in your program there. Uh, the outline of 1 Peter. 
customary greeting, we talked about verses 1 and 2. Peter talked about that we were chosen to be born again in chapter 1 going into chapter 2 and then commanded to change our conduct by submitting to government authorities ordained by God. Submission in employer-employee relationships. Submission to one another in the marriage relationship. And that's where we left off before Thanksgiving. Today we move to another major turn in this book. Care for when you face persecution. And then we'll look at call to a new responsibility. And then we'll close the book out with the recognitions that Peter gives. But the emphasis in the first two chapters of 1 Peter was sharing about the fact believers will face all kinds of trials and tribulations and false accusations of wrongdoing, ignorant talk of foolish men, and the pain of unjust suffering. Now that we have a little bit of a reminder of where we've been, let's continue on as we look at today's message, and you'll see the first major point, living a righteous life in a counterculture world. Living a righteous life in a counterculture world. In 1 Peter 3.8, it says, Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Notice that first word. He says, finally. In other words, to sum up what I've already said in the, in the first section that we've talked about. Peter's about to start this new section with a new thought. And he says, all of you. These are Christ followers, whether they were Jewish or Gentile believers who have scattered abroad out of Jerusalem because of severe persecution. Peter lists five practical principles on how to live as a Christ follower in a secular world that's opposed to God in his teaching. And we talk about the world, we're talking about the principalities, the powers in Ephesians 6, 12, those things that oppose Christ, the powers of darkness, Satan, and the flesh. And that's what he's talking about, how we oppose those things. And as they begin to threaten more and more in a physical way or a verbal way to attack us, what do we do? Well, as we look at these five things, just remember as we look at them, the overarching principle here is that to have an attitude of love, an attitude of agape love, the love that comes from God. First of all, under this point, live with a heart desiring unity. Live with a heart desiring unity. The word here means like-minded. We're to view things as believers for the common good of all. Sometimes that's surrendering our preferences and methodology or surrendering to submit to decisions made by leadership that you may not always agree with, as long as they're not unbiblical. Often we don't see eye to eye on how to spend our money here at church, how we should do things, what maybe our emphasis should be at the time, or what kind of flavor coffee that we should have out there in the lobby. And the list goes on and on. But we give and we take on these things that are not that important in light of eternity so we can keep the unity of the faith. I love what Paul said in Philippians 1, 27 and 28. He says, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. That's the focal point to keep your eyes on. So that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel and not frightened in anything by your opponents this is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. <clears throat> if we're doing God's will, we're going to face opposition. 
And that's how we know that we're doing God's bidding in many ways. But be mindful. He says, all that, the gospel is going to lead to their destruction if they continue to revile us and um, disrespect us and mistreat us along the way until they come to faith in Christ. It's to be expected. But we're unified in the gospel. Our maintaining of unity is about to be put to the test as we think about our annual meeting coming up on March 27th. We'll be voting on a budget for the 2022-2023 fiscal year. If we have elders that need to be affirmed, we'll be uh, voting for that. Constitutional changes and updates that we're working on. The remodel team plans and the support of the church family and the feedback and the give and take on that. This will take a lot of discussion and prayer by our church family and leadership to come to consensus on what needs to be done and how much we want to spend on the project. And so how we conduct ourselves in that meeting and respond will show how we work together with our perspectives, preferences, and attitudes in voting on these things. So unity is so important, being single-minded. Second of all, live with a heart that is understanding of others. That's understanding of others. The word used here in verse 8 is sympathy. It means having a sincere feeling for and for the needs of people. This involves at times showing and feeling empathy for others. And empathy is walking in someone else's shoes. It's uh, understanding what they're facing and what they're going through and thinking about how would I feel? What would I want done for that person or for myself if, if I was in that situation? That's what empathy is all about. And many of us in this room, we've experienced losses in our life through death. We think of some of you lost a spouse or a loved one, even in recent times. A loss of a mother or father. Diane and I were just talking the other day about how much we miss our mother and our father who've passed on. You don't have those opportunities to have those conversations, to talk with them, to get their words of wisdom. No one replaces the loss of a mom or a dad or a spouse or even the loss of a child, which is so hard and devastating on families. But we have to learn to adapt and to adjust and go on with our lives with a unique attitude and dependence on God. Sometimes it's empathizing with people who've lost a job. I've lost jobs, and maybe you can empathize with people who've gone through that. Maybe you've gone through a period of homelessness or not sure where you were going to live. Maybe it's losing your finances all at once, putting ourselves in their shoes and showing sympathy and empathy for them. It's journeying, journeying together through life with the fellow Christ followers in our church. Rejoice with those who have something to rejoice about. We celebrate the birth of a new baby, Walter Roth, right? We're about to celebrate another birth coming up soon for Austin and Melissa. We celebrate kids coming to faith in Christ in Awana. At Easter, we'll have some baptisms, I believe, that people have asked about. Job promotions. There's lots of things that we can rejoice with others about. And I love what Romans 12, 15 says, Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. <clears throat> I remember that a number of years ago when I was pastor over at Emmanuel Baptist in Kankakee, my head deacon, Pat McConnell, he called me at 2 a.m. in the morning and I picked up the phone and he was weeping uncontrollably. He said, I need you to come to St. Mary's Hospital immediately. And so I came and I was still kind of in a fog. It was only a couple miles from my house and 
I walk in the emergency room and Pat McConnell runs and jumps into my arms and just wept for five minutes uncontrollably because his late 30-year-old son died suddenly of a heart attack in the middle of the night. And I remember weeping with him as he wept uncontrollably. And that's what we do. We rejoice and we weep with one another. The next point, live with a heart of love for our brothers and sisters in Christ. Live with a heart of love for our brothers and sisters in Christ. The word used here in verse 8 is Philadelphia, which we know the city of Philadelphia. The root word there is phileo, which is brotherly love. We're like a family, like the affection for our brothers and sisters that we have biologically. We have that same similar affection for our brothers and sisters in Christ. That shows an unselfish love toward them, loving your neighbor as yourself, thinking about what I would want and wanting the same for somebody else. So on this day before Valentine's Day, where the emphasis is on romantic love, how can we also love our brothers and sisters in Christ with the love that's poured out on us when we received the Holy Spirit, when we were born again and transformed into our lives? Romans 5.5 5 says this, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. We have that agape love flowing into our lives and we're supposed to be a conduit that pours out that love to others as well. John 13, 35, familiar verse of scripture, but a good reminder, by this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And 1 Peter 4, 8, later in the same book, Peter says above all, Keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. Some ideas and examples of how we're to love one another. We're to live with a heart of compassion. Compassion, it says tenderhearted in your English Standard Version there. In the times that the Bible was written, the Roman Empire thought feeling tenderhearted or compassionate was a weakness. It was not considered a virtue at all. But you know what changed the hearts of even the members of the Roman Empire was that Christians would come out and when the Roman parents would put their babies out on the curb or throw them in the, the city dump, they would come along and scoop them up and take them home and raise them and eventually develop orphanages and begin to educate them because in that society, if you didn't like the sex of the child or if it was deformed, you had every right to just dispose of it any way that you wanted to. It was the Christians, as some of the later rulers of the Roman Empire would say, that would run into the cities where there were plagues. As everybody else, the Roman citizens were exiting to get away from the plague, it was the Christians running in to share the gospel, even willing to give their life to minister and to help these people in the midst of the disease that they were facing. And over time, this whole thing of it being a weak thing changed to a valuable virtue, a character quality that we look at as a positive thing even today. Philippians chapter 2, verse 1, Paul said, kind of tongue-in-cheek here, he says, so if there's any encouragement in Christ, okay, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, 
having the same love, being in full accord of one mind. Is there encouragement in Christ? Yes. Is there any comfort from his love? Yes. Is there any participation in the spirit working in our lives to minister to us? Yes. Any affection and sympathy? Yes. Then we are to convey that to others as well. Here's a short story from a writer in World, about his growing up in World War II. One of the most vivid memories from my youth is connected with a little goat given to me by my father to care for during the last year of the Second World War. The goat's name was Walter. I was 13 years old then and we lived in a part of Holland that was isolated by the great rivers from the D-Day armies. People were dying daily of hunger. He said, I love my little goat. I spent hours collecting acorns for him, taking him on long walks, playfully fighting with him, pushing him where his two horns are growing. I carried him in my arms. I built a pen for him in the garage and I gave him a little wooden wagon to pull. As soon as I woke up in the morning, I fed him. And as soon as I returned from school, I fed him again. I cleaned his pen and talked to him about all sorts of things. My goat, Walter, and I were the best of friends. Well, one day, early in the morning, when I entered the garage, I found the pen empty. Walter had been stolen. I don't remember ever having cried so vehemently in so long. I sobbed and screamed for my grief. My father and mother hardly knew how to console me. It was the first time I learned about love and loss. Years later, when the war was over, and he said my family had enough food again, my father told me that our gardener had stolen Walter and fed him to his family who had nothing left to eat. My father knew it was the gardener, but he never confronted him, even though he saw my grief. I now realize that both Walter and my father taught me something about compassion. Compassion and caring for others' needs. The only other place in the New Testament where you'll see this word tenderhearted or compassion is mentioned in Ephesians 4.32, where it says, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ has forgiven you and I. And then we're to live with a heart of humility, to live with a heart of humility. Very similar to some of the things we've already talked about. Remember the overarching thing of this is love and it comes out of a heart of love. A heart of humility puts others first before themselves. They show courtesy, they honor people with respect and dignity as fellow image bearers of God. And they understand that they are to be a servant, to have a heart of a servant to serve others. Just like Jesus gave us the example of washing the disciples' feet and then being willing to give the ultimate sacrifice of laying down his life on the cross so we are to have a heart of humility. So our application here is to live above the climate of the culture by intentionally focusing in on who you are and who, who you are made to be in Christ. We have to constantly come back to knowing who we are in Christ, how he views us, not the world's perspective, not what other people say about us, but what Christ does. And if we can live above that, then we can handle the opposition, the persecution, the trials, the heartaches that come into our life. Well, Peter now moves from the heart, the attitudes we should build into our lives, given to us from the Holy Spirit indwelling us, to now the outward display of these things of our behavior toward others, our conduct. 
So what we put into our heart is going to come out and living a righteous life while suffering opposition and persecution. You see, we have to engage the culture and be in the world and not of it. We have to face the opposition head on after we're equipped and we're ready to go. There was a little league team manager, coach for his team. He says, a few years back, I coached my son's little league team. We spent many hours practicing. We practiced and we practiced and we learned the fundamentals. We learned how to hit. We learned how to bunt. We learned how to throw. In what situation to throw to what base if the ball goes to the outfield. How to pitch, how to catch. We learned all the secret coaching signs. We honed our skills day after day in the summer sun. We could have practiced all summer, but it would have been meaningless. We might have had a great team. We might have been Little League World Series contenders. But unless we quit practicing and went out and faced a team and met the opposition, we would never know. The team would never accomplish anything until they played a game. The act of playing the game after careful, careful preparation is what the world is all about. Practicing and learning go for nothing if we don't go out and use our skills. There comes a moment in time when we need to leave the safety of our church and our pews and our chairs and go out and meet the opposition and win them over. And so as we approach Peter's words of wisdom to those who are about to face severe persecutions, let's be reminded that we don't live by feelings, but we live by our faith. This week I was <clears throat> listening to J.D. Greer on WDLM. He's on at 6 o'clock on weekdays. And he said this, we walk by faith and not by sight. That's true, but many Christians walk by faith in their feelings. We must not feel our way into our beliefs. We believe our way into feeling. That is important. That's an important distinction. We must not feel our way into our beliefs. We believe our way into feeling. Now, I'm, I'm talking about, I know there's people here that may struggle with discouragement and depression and need counseling and medication, and that's very, very important. But in general, the world lives by their feelings as truth. And we as believers, we have to live out our beliefs, and the feelings many times will follow after. We get that backwards sometimes. So as we deal with our inner voice, and it's preaching to us doubt and discouraging us to do what God wants us to do, we have to be like Martin Luther. You know, Martin Luther, it was said that sometimes when he was so overwhelmed after being a Christian, with the flesh and the devil speaking uh, discouraging things in his mind, he would get off into the woods, make sure no one was around, and he began shouting the promises of God to the devil and renouncing the devil in public to get those voices out. Martin Luther said, quote, drown out the voices of despair with the louder voices of the gospel, end of quote. We're going to need this advice to face the strong temptations of this world and the discouragement of constantly feeling like we are in the minority when it comes to the ways of the world. So here are four things that Peter challenges us to do in our behavior in the spirit. First of all, bless those who persecute you. <clears throat> bless those who persecute you. Nothing new in that. We've heard that many times. It's taken from numerous places, probably the most famous is the Beatitudes. But verse 9 says this, Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless, for to this you were called, <clears throat> that you may obtain a blessing. It's a command here. We are to stop returning evil for evil. Do not repay. 
Evil in the Greek there means the inherent quality of badness. Reviling means an abuse of ranting against us, someone who's cursing us out, someone who's speaking evil of us. And as Christians, we have choices to make when we are faced with being treated unjustly, unfairly, or in a wrong manner. We can return evil for good, evil for good. My former mentor, Rod Franklin, he's in his 80s now, he lives over in Eastern Illinois, told me a story recently that he took a man in who was struggling with alcoholism to live in his house, gave him the code to his garage, and he watched this man come to faith in Christ, get baptized, go to his church where he serves and all that. And he was doing very well. And then about nine months later, Rod made a visit to his family in Texas and only to come home and see that his car had been stolen. This man had left and stolen his car after all the good that he had poured out into his life. Then to add insult to injury, he went on another trip and the guy came back and stole all of his guns and rifles out of his house. We're not to repay evil for good. We're not to return evil for evil. We're, not to, return, we're to return good for evil. Jesus' example, no retaliation for unjust treatment and leaving it up to God to bring vengeance upon those who mistreat us. Three responses. Return evil for good, return evil for evil, or return good for evil, and that's what Jesus wants us to do. Look at verses uh, 21 23. If you flip back to 1 Peter chapter 2, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21. Or to this you've been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. Jesus committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When Jesus was reviled, he did not revile in return, and when he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He continued entrusting himself to God who judges justly. <clears throat> In verse nine of 1 Peter three, the second part of that verse, it says, bless, for to this you were called. Notice the same wording there, that you may obtain a blessing. Bless is that Greek word that's used for our word eulogy. Eulogy is when we speak well of someone. We think of that at a funeral service or a celebration of life. The idea in the second part of verse 9 is to return a blessing to those who mistreat us. That might be saying gentle words of encouragement to somebody who's blasting us or talking negatively about us. That might be showing acts of kindness. You've heard the phrase, kill them with kindness. I think of the story of Chip Ingram living on the edge, and he used to play basketball when he was in college at Penn State. And they all knew he was a Christian, and the tallest guy on the team, the biggest guy, continued to pick on him. And so what Chip did was he finally went and got to, when the laundry was done for the team, he would take and fold this player's jersey and put it in his locker, and he did a game after game after game. He was showing kindness in the face of someone uh, ridiculing him and making fun of him. That may be responding in the heat of the moment of negative confrontation by someone by just simply listening and taking it. Other ideas that we could do is to love people unconditionally, to pray for the salvation of someone who is treating us unfairly, unjustly, 
or if they're a believer, pray for their walk in Christ to mature. Express gratitude for them and who they are. Forgive those who persecute you as Jesus did when he was on the cross. The promise here is that if we follow the path of blessings, those who mistreat us, as we're called, we will receive a blessing. That's the promise that comes out of this verse. Bless, for this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. In Matthew chapter 5, it says this in verse 11, Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you, and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. That blessing that God may pour on you would be maybe a clear conscience or someone granting you forgiveness or accepting your willingness to uh, ask for forgiveness of them. A deeper sense of knowing God. There's many ways that we receive a blessing. Verse 9 may have really been something that Peter was reminded of. Think about Peter as he wrote these words. He was the one that took out his sword and cut off the servant's ear, right, in the Garden of Gethsemane. He was the one that rejected Christ when persecution and opposition came as they were taking Jesus through the trials. We could see as he penned these words that he matured a lot in his faith. And then love life by guarding your language. Guarding. Guarding your language. Verse 10, 1 Peter 3 says, For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Notice that little word for at the beginning of verse 10. It's a link between verses 8 and 9 and taking us on to verses 10 through 12. Peter's leading us into a short expositional teaching of Psalm 34, verses 12 through 16. He's using Psalm 34 to build on what he's already taught. He says, whoever wills or desires, those who intentionally choose faith, choose life. As believers, we're to love life. Not only our physical life, but the spiritual life that we have. Do not ever hate life. Solomon said in Ecclesiastes 2.17, So I hated life because what is done under the sun was grievous to me for all is vanity and a striving after wind. We're not to hate life. We're not to endure life. We're not to escape life like so many people do in our culture, in our world. They don't like reality that they're facing. They don't want to face the music, the consequences of their actions. So what do they do? They, they escape through getting involved in addictions and other distractions in their life. You and I were to choose to enjoy life. God is in control. And by faith, make the most of every opportunity. Allow God to open doors as we obey him and do his will daily. Think about the Apostle Paul. He wrote the book of Philippians. And the theme of the book of Philippians is joy. And where did he write that from? He wrote it from a prison cell. At the time, he said in Philippians 4, I've learned to be content in every situation of life. So stay within the boundaries of his word and you will avoid so many of the heartaches of the world due to the consequences of their choices. We're called to speak truth and guard our tongues. We can say the wrong words. Sometimes we can say the right words with the wrong attitude as well. James 3 talks about the tongue and the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. Peter, when he is thinking about this in verse 10, he knew 
what it was like to use hasty language, didn't he? He often spoke before he thought of what he was saying. But on a practical note, it might be good for us from time to time to look at James chapter 3 and remind ourselves of the power of the tongue for good or for evil. It might be good for us to memorize and pray over this verse in Psalm 141.3. I encourage you to write this reference down. Psalm 141.3. Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. Something for us to meditate upon. In verse 11, he talks about pursuing peace. Pursue peace. Verse 11 says, let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. Notice he says, turn away from evil. The sinful treatment of others, don't reciprocate. Do good, that means do things excellent in quality. Dig down deep in your character in order to do it. And then he says, seek peace, pursue peace. These are action verbs. We're actively involved. The other day I was minding my own business. I was at the Y on Wednesday and I was walking my three laps around and uh, the track up there and I'm looking down, I'm watching the gym and there's a lot of guys playing basketball. And two guys got into a heated discussion over who fouled who. And all of a sudden, fists were flying. And then it stopped. And I'm walking, I'm thinking, what are we gonna do? And then fists began to fly again. And I saw one guy spit on the other guy and then it was time for me to go downstairs and get the staff. It was time to break up a fight. You and I, we are to be peacemakers. Matthew chapter five, verse nine says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Remember the difference between peacemakers and peacekeepers. We're not to be peacekeepers. That means keeping peace at any cost. It means that when we face conflict, which we will, inevitably, even with people who love one another, we're to seek to resolve the situation, to figure out what's the common good, and to reconcile and to bring peace in that moment. John MacArthur, in his commentary on these verses, said that peace is a constant condition of tranquility that produces permanent joy and happiness. A constant condition of tranquility that produces permanent joy and happiness. And then the last thing we look at today is to know. To know that God always blesses righteous attitudes and behavior in the end. In 1 Peter 3 Verse 12, it says, For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? Notice what it says there in verses 12. Verse 12, it says, God sees all, God knows all, and that we are going to be accountable for our actions. This is supposed to be a verse of encouragement to us as believers. He is ever close to us. He knows our needs. He knows our wants, he knows our desires, and he wants to bless us. And then on top of that, it says he listens to the prayers of the righteous ones. The other side of that equation is if you're living a life of sin and you are a follower of Christ or you have yet to accept Christ, then God's against your behavior and your perpetual sin, but is always willing and ready to accept you to come back and repent. And then you can enjoy that same sense that God is listening and hearing your prayers. John 3.36 says this, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, and whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. 
If you're here today and you're not a believer in Christ, God's wrath is upon you until you turn away from your sin and you come to faith in, in him because it's the sin that separates you from a relationship with a holy God. God loves everyone he's ever created. Everyone's in his, made in his image, and he longs to restore people to the original purpose and design for which he made them. But until they do, God's face will be against them. So here's our application. Respond in our attitude and behavior in a loving way that brings honor to Christ and the gospel. That's a summary of those four things that Peter talked about. To respond in an attitude and behavior in a loving way that brings honor to Christ and the gospel. Let's thank God for our salvation today and the transformation that's taking place to make us more like Jesus Christ. But remember, there's still so many out there that haven't had the privilege to know who God is, to know who their, what their purpose in life is, and have that peace with God, and then that peace that passes all understanding that we have as believers in Christ. Our key thought is this, never forget what we may have become apart from Christ as we understand people and the culture around us. Do you ever stop and think or watch other people and you think, what would my life be like if I was not a believer in Christ? I think about when I was 13, before I was a Christian, and where I was headed. And I'm thinking, where would I have been without Christ? And you think about the fact that it says in 2 Corinthians 1 that Satan has blinded their eyes. And I pray constantly that people's eyes would have the blinders removed so they could understand the gospel to receive Christ so they could be all that God made them to be. Here's a closing illustration. Dana Curry and Heather Mercer were the two American Christian aid workers. They were being held by the Taliban just before and during September 11, 2001, the attack on America, and then as we invaded Afghanistan, they were still in prison. And they wrote a book called The Prisoners of Hope. And they wrote these words, thinking about, think about this while they were in prison. To the Afghan people whom we so dearly love, these words reflect the heart of Christians who are willing to risk persecution and perhaps death for the sake of taking the gospel to the lost, those who are without Christ as personal Savior and Lord. They also wrote to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, your everlasting love healed our hearts and set us free. May we honor and love you with all that we are for all of our days. Having the righteousness of God is to have a surrendered heart to his will, regardless of the cost. Blessed are those who undergo persecution for the sake of righteousness for Christ. Let's bow our heads and our hearts in prayer. As we pray today, maybe, <clears throat> maybe you're here today and as you think about this, someone has hurt you deeply recently. Or maybe at your job, someone was promoted that you, that was promoted in a place you thought that you deserved to have. Or maybe someone has taken advantage of you financially. Or you fill in the blank. And these words about bless those who persecute you are hard emotionally to accept and to practice. I don't know what your situation is here or on our live stream, but God wants us to focus in on that agape love about how much he has forgiven us despite all we have done.
to a holy God. And if you're here today and maybe you're struggling with bitterness or you've been negative or you allowed the negative thoughts to take control of your mind, take a moment and ask God to forgive you and to help you to reset and rededicate and refocus today. Father, sometimes even the people we love the most can hurt us, bring injustice to us. Then we also go out into a a cruel world that at times is all about themselves and what's to their benefit, to the exclusion of your needs or your wants. Sometimes it's taking advantage of us and using us to get what they want. And Lord, whatever the situations are and people's lives today, you know. I just pray you help them. Help them to wrestle with these verses. Help them to develop the attitude that Christ had. I can't imagine as he willingly laid down his life and allowed them to drive those nails in his hands and his feet. And knowing he hadn't done anything wrong, knowing he had the power to call legions of angels and to end his suffering, that he willingly did that. And then he forgave them of the very thing that they did. Lord, help us. Help us to learn to have that kind of depth and maturity of faith when we face the opposition and the persecutions in our lives. We pray and ask these things now in Jesus' name. Amen.